Coming up, he is a traveling evangelist, and he's actually on the road. You're going to meet Lee McBride in just a moment. He has been ministering to the hearts of people all across this country, and he has a special mission, especially this time of year. And You're going to hear all about it coming up on Faces of Faith. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. And welcome aboard for this edition of Faces of Faith. Thank you for joining us, and I am privileged to bring you a special friend of mine that is on the road, on mission for the Lord this morning as we are uh, talking on this podcast. Lee McBride is from Columbus, Georgia. Lee, thanks so much for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule to join me this morning. It is my honor, my honor to be with you this morning. You're on the road. Tell us uh, where you're headed and, and what you're on mission to do. Okay, so in August and a couple weeks into September every year, I, uh, I do what's called Water Break Ministries. And, and what that is is I ask high school and middle school and some college football coaches for just one water break. Just take their helmet off, put them on a knee, and give me five minutes. And what started five years ago kind of humbly is now I do 100 schools every fall, and I'm Unreal. on my way to Texas to okay. do several football talks today. How did that idea get planted in your heart? I called a college professor several years ago when I've been on the evangelistic field mm-hmm. and told him I was having really stuck trouble staying busy on in August, and he said, Lee, just give it away. Just find something that you can do that other guys can't do and just do it for free. Give it away. And man, I, I got a call from a, a young guy who was coaching in Bowden, Georgia, who said, just come do a little five minute talk, one water break. And it just all clicked. And I've been doing them really for seven years, but been doing a hundred of them every year for five years. You've done them right here in Columbus. You've been in our area. I think you said you were in Lynette last week, right? Yes. Yes, do them all over, but mainly in the southeast. What is your message to young people when you have that five-minute window and they're you know yeah. sweaty and they, you know they're you know their their mind is on uh, the game of football? Um, what's your message to them, Lee? All right, just basically three things. Uh, first of all, I tell every group, no matter what what story I tell, that I love them, and I think it's important that those young men hear that from grown men outside their bubble. And I tell them I have a lot of admiration and respect for what they're doing because physically what they're doing is really, really hard. For some of them, it's the hardest thing they've ever done. Mm -hmm. Then I share one spiritual truth, and I try to help coaches by giving one uh, uh, coachable point that a coach can step behind me and build on, talk about, attitude or talk about hustle or talk Mm -hmm. about being coachable it's just basically those three things but i just want those young guys to know that there are a lot of people who really truly admire and respect what they're trying to do all right tell me about your athletic background what would cause you to gravitate toward football players well my dad who pastored for almost 30 years in columbus uh well, six weeks into my freshman year, I was at Shaw High School. He moved to a little town on the other side of the state of Georgia called Lincolnton, Georgia, Lincoln County. 
I think I've heard and of that I actually place. Played in, played, yeah, I've actually played for the winningest coach at Georgia high school football history, Larry Campbell. So I'm a, I love playing high school football, and I am a, that's my favorite level of football at yeah. high school football. So it's something I had a love for anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, we, you mentioned your dad. Let's go back. You're from Columbus. Tell me uh, – I try to assume that when people are tuning into the podcast that they don't personally know who my guest is. Uh, we've okay. been knowing each other for quite some time, but but let's open up this window into Lee McBride's life. Let's go back into, um, you know, your early years where you went to school, the, 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 um, right. the, the, the memories you have of being raised in a Christian family by folks that were, you know, ministers. My dad uh, actually... Uh, accepted Christ on Father's Day 1971 because our next door neighbor who was Bobby and Julia Bearfield, Bobby Bearfield had invited me to start going to church with them Mm -hmm. and their son uh, Rob Bearfield. So uh, my dad didn't get saved till I was almost in the first grade. In the third grade when I was going to Blanchard Elementary School there in Columbus. All my kids went to Blanchard. (laughs) <laughs> my dad uh, sold his part of a business, McBride Auto Parts. He was co-owner with Tommy McBride, which they're very best of friends, but no kin, just happened to have the same last name. Okay. And uh, he went to Bible College at <clears throat> Southeastern in Lakeland, Florida. Came back. My dad became an associate pastor with Brother Hennessy at Evangel Temple. And uh, I went to Winton Elementary School in the sixth grade, the year of the Stock and Strangler. I was scared yeah. to death the Stock and Strangler was going to get us. And then uh, went to seventh and eighth grade at Arnold Junior High School. And we moved to Lincoln, but when we moved back, my dad ended up moving back to Columbus when I was in Bible College and pastored at Trinity Temple for 28 years. What was it like being a preacher's kid and growing up under um, Mike McBride and, and your sweet mom? I had a fantastic childhood. I mean, being a PK is not necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil, really, to be honest with you, as I've learned and become friends with these coaches through these talks, it's really similar being a coach's kid and being a preacher's kid. You, you live in a fishbowl. Mm-hmm. So everybody in the community is watching you. Uh, sometimes the expectations for both kids are a little high. With a preacher, I, I think they think preachers' kids are supposed to be perfect. With a coach, they think they're just naturally supposed to be the best athlete in town. And and also in both deals, your dad is gonna criticism just becomes a part of your life. Right. I mean, even if. A, Church is growing. There are people that think the music's too loud and it's too cold and and during the service. It's the same thing with coaching. They're, they could be state champs, but there's a couple families in the stands that thinks their kids ought to be playing. So right. you kind of learn to deal constructively with criticism. <clears throat> but for the few negatives, the positives a hundred million times outweigh it. I mean, you're you're raised by. Uh, great parents and you're in one of the healthiest environments in the world church people are really good to you mm-hmm. you you grow up with some of the best people on earth and uh 
it was overwhelmingly an extremely positive experience being a PK. At what point did you make that personal commitment and decision that you wanted to follow the Lord? I actually was at a, a kid's camp in Alify, Florida, when my dad was finishing up Bible college. Now, I received Christ as a young kid, mm -hmm. probably the first grade. Watson McKimmy was my Sunday school teacher mm -hmm. when I accepted Christ. and uh, and But I was actually called to preach at a very young age, 12 years old at a kid's camp while my parents were living in Lakeland. And I had a couple rough years in high school. I, I've always mm -hmm. battled insecurity. Uh and I got insecure, so I started using my gifts just to build friendship. Trouble in high school, I got some pretty good trouble in high school. That focus and, and my life when I was 19, I've been actually preaching since I was 19 years old, and I'm wow. 55. Whoa. Let's talk about the... Um the impact that you feel like your ministry is having and, and how does the Lord keep you motivated to, to keep listening to him and following his lead in your life? Okay, well, really, I've kind of found a niche in the kingdom of God, and I think when people find their niche, and I, I would consider you, my good friend Phil Scoggins, have found a very significant niche in the kingdom. And my niche just is all based around storytelling. I mean, I, I went to Bible college. I have a pastoral ministries degree. I was a youth pastor. I pastored a church for almost three years. But really, my <laughs> gift is being able to tell a story, whether it's five minutes on a football field or 30 minutes in a youth service at youth camp or preaching on Sunday morning. So when you love something like I love, storytelling and constantly am whittling and trying to improve, that serves as a great uh, motivator because you are always all, and always improving, trying to improve your craft. Mm -hmm. But the greatest motivation I have is my beautiful wife, Wendy. We've been married 33 years. Wow, congratulations. I have two, two beautiful kids and, and a daughter-in-law, son-in-law. And I'll be honest with you, my last three years or two and a half years, my greatest motivation, I have a granddaughter, her name's Late, <laughs> she's changed my life, but uh -huh. they believe in me, they love me, they support what I'm doing, they sacrifice for what I'm doing because I'm gone a lot, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just a great motivation to keep improving and, and to know that people back home are counting that I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You mentioned you're a storyteller, and uh, all storytellers have favorite stories. You probably yes. draw on these as you're talking to kids and certainly when you're in, in front of congregations. But uh, yes. we're going to use this opportunity today to just, um, as you're traveling down I-10, headed toward Texas, um, share some stories with us. We want to hear what's in your heart and, and let the Lord just use you to, uh, to inspire and encourage others. Absolutely. So here's what I want to say, but I'll share a story with you, but I, I just want to encourage people to do this. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says that when, the, when we're led of the Spirit, mm -hmm. that we become powerful 
witnesses. And then it says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the Another uttermost part of the earth. Yeah. I think that is one facet of a lot of churches that I go to, Phil, that are not used, and that is the power of people's personal Jesus story. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if somebody says, Lee, I'm not a great storyteller. Well, I'll tell you this. you got a great story to tell. Everybody's got a story. Especially in this culture, when we, if we disagree with somebody politically, theologically, you, you pick a subject. We kind of lost the ability to reason together, and it gets heated. And but there's no debate about your Jesus story. Absolutely. There's no negotiations about that. People may not believe it at first, but the Lord's gonna help them believe it because it's true. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm gonna share a story, but I just want to encourage people to look for opportunities to tell their story one on one. You know. I, I'll preach to, I'm speaking to football team today, three tomorrow, a youth service tonight. So if you add all of those up, that's fine. People does not exclude me from what God's called me to do one-on-one uh, to people that I sit next to on an airplane, to these coaches that I meet. I mean, I just think we need to get back to, being powerful witnesses, and a witness just tells their story, just tells what they've experienced or what they've seen. Uh, And I think that's why no matter how much social media or anything impacts or changes the culture, people are never going to grow weary of hearing stories, especially good stories. I think the Lord had a a knack of telling those, right? That's exactly (laughs) right. And, you know, you can use, uh, it, 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 if you do it correctly, you can make really powerful spiritual truths come home easy to people uh, by just telling a, a story or a, or a great analogy. Like, here's a instance. I talk to students all the time about knowing the dif- difference between temptation and failure. Some things in our life are tempting. Some things are just failure. That's why the scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Mm-hmm. There are some things that are that, that you can overcome that are tempting. There are some things you're just going to have to avoid until we mature in Christ. You're just going to have to use accountability and not put yourself in that situation. So here's the here's a simple analogy slash story I tell at a middle school camp to help kids understand this. Like banana pudding for me, is not temptation. It is failure. <laughs> I am going to eat it every time. It don't matter if it's mall malls. I'm with you, brother. With I'm that there. <laughs> or if it's at the middle school and it's just yellow pudding with a vanilla wafer in it. I, I, the only way I can have victory in my life over banana pudding is to not be within three acres of a bowl of banana pudding. And See, what I'm saying, it's just that story, that picture, as silly and as shallow as that is, it drives home that point that there are some things that that you just have to avoid until you get stronger, and that's how you have victory. Mm -hmm. It's not temptation, it's failure. So we use stories like that all the time. But my go-to story that I share the most is uh, there's a scripture that says, Jesus is a friend 
that sticks closer, closer than, than a brother. A brother. Mm-hmm. And this is the story I always share when I share that scripture. When we moved to Lakeland, when my was in the third grade, my dad was going to Bible college. I mean, he sold his business. He sold his bass boat. I mean, our life changed. I tell people we were still eating Frosted Flakes in Florida, but it was just a yellow box with two black words on it. Frosted. Tony did not come with us. <laughs> I don't know where Tony the Tiger went. But we lived, moved next door, or a couple doors down from a guy that was actually we were the. I was a couple years younger than him, but he we were about the same size. But he was mean. He was a bully, and I, I know that word gets thrown around a lot, and I'm not belittling anybody that deals with any kind of bullying. It's, it's, it's terrible, but this kid would pound you. I mean, he would hit you with blunt objects. He was mean. Mm. It was physical. Well, he put the word out that he was going to, you know, stomp me if he, if he caught me outside the house, and I'd like to tell you a courageous story of how I, you know, went and started lifting weights or put my ankle weights on, began to jog and trained and went and faced him. But that's not what happened. I was so scared of him. I just dodged him. I was like the episode of Andy Griffith when the guy tells Barney, if yeah. I catch you mm-hmm. out of your uniform, I'm a woodsman. Barney just wore his uniform All everywhere for yeah. three weeks. Well, one day I, I stepped out of the house without checking, and there the guy was. And uh, he he said something derogatory and negative about my mom. And when he did that, all the fear left me. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you can leave my mama and Fair Bryant Earnhardt, you leave them out of it or we you know, we're gonna have trouble. <laughs> and I reared back and swung and I missed that kid. I missed his whole head. He he put me down in the dirt and he just began to pound the back of my head. A crowd had gathered and I'm thinking, My gosh, I hope this ends soon. This is terrible and out of out of nowhere i've never heard a noise quite like it you know in a long time but it was a metallic sound that kind of came out of the blue and boom the guy falls off of me and i look and my six-year-old brother had hit him in the head with a pogo stick and i mean a pogo stick had been laying in the yard had weeds growing up we've never even jumped on it and me and my brother we wore that guy out and I, I tell people all the time, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he's got a pogo stick, and he will knock the devil off you. I mean, it, it, I think sometimes people can be spiritually where I was physically. They're just hoping things will change. But you can call on the name of Jesus, and he will be a very present help in the, in the time, time of, of trouble. need. Yep. Great story, Lee. You uh, team up, you're, you're un- known in these parts as being a Christian comedian, teaming up with Joe Phillips. Yeah. <clears throat> I know y'all take that on the road, and it's not just in the Columbus area, but a lot of folks around here right. do know y'all. Uh, Joe has actually been on the podcast uh, several okay. months ago, so f- the viewers that are uh, frequent to this podcast, hopefully they'll remember uh, Joe. But describe y'all's relationship and how y'all use... Y- and play off each other to, to bless others when y'all are together. Yeah, it's, a, it's we are the odd couple. <laughs> I mean, uh, Joe is OCD. We we just we did a show Sunday night in Indianapolis, and uh, you could do open heart surgery in his truck, and you could grow sweet potatoes in the passenger floorboard of mine. <laughs> I mean, we're just 
you see I got how we even dress. I I got I don't even have sleeves on today. I I believe in the right to bear arms in the summer, so I mean But that's a great example of God using we, we communicate completely in different ways. And Joe's a good storyteller too. Yeah. But I use a lot of colloquialisms, a, a lot of humor, and I'm going to drive down one point, and when Joe preaches, he is going to throw multiple scriptures at you, set the context. We just, we're just so different, but when we are together, we had seven people except Christ Sunday night in Mooresville, Indiana, right outside of Indianapolis. And uh, I did a bit, he did a bit, and we came back together and, and just shared Christ. It, we're completely different, the odd couple, but we are the best of friends, and I don't think we ought to put people in boxes. I don't think, you know, I think God uses us. Uh, he created us, engineered us, designed us, so he can use us even though we're different. Well, even on stage, I know uh, in some cases <clears throat> you're in camo and he's in a tux. That's right. That's what the <laughs> tour is called, the, the Tuxedo Camo Comedy Tour. <laughs> So, but, uh, how did y'all? Uh, just, how did y'all come up about you know making a ministry team? What what was the what was the backstory on that? Well, we started. I would guess the not the spiritual aspect, but we we were undefeated for three years in a row. We won a talent contest, the talent night at our Bible college at Southeastern, and we impersonated professors and told stories and he did some professors I did some professors and that's kind of where we begin to kind of play off of each other and the tag team but uh, we were youth pastors together in Columbus for years we uh, we did ministry together both of us worked we did the fellowship of Christian athletes at Jordan High School both of us were heavily involved I ended up being for 15 years involved with teen advisors mm-hmm which uh, was an organization that one of the best things that ever happened to me because it taught me to teach and preach multi-denominationally, which was a great setup for what I'm doing right now. So folks that haven't heard and, of Teen uh, Advisors, explain the, the background. I know that... Um, okay, Teen Advisors Dee Dee is and very... Yes, the Stevens. started by Richard and D.D. Stevens yeah. and... Uh, Teen Advisors is a very powerful, now it, it, it's described as an organization, but they are, they do ministry. But what, what they, the main focus of what they do is they take 10th, 11th, and 12th grade students and they mentor freshmen mm-hmm. in high school. But they have a weekly Bible study, they have retreats, and they also have a middle school program right now that's called Velocity. But Teen Advisors and Velocity have had as big an impact on uh, uh, discipling students for Christ in Columbus than anything that I could that I know of. So tell me, um, as we as you look across the spectrum of your uh, ministry. Uh, Share some stories of, of examples where you know God showed up and, and made changes and differences in people, people's lives that you ministered and, and tried to help. Okay. Yeah, well, just uh, I do a lot of ministry to out 
outdoorsman. I do a lot of wild game suppers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, the first things that I ever did, what, what happened, Phil, is a crazy story. But I was pastoring a church in South Georgia, and I, I started writing a deer hunting poem. And as I never wanted to be a poet. I never thought I would be a poet, but it was a, a very powerful seven-minute poem called When the Woods Wake Up. It changed my life and opened all these doors to do wild game suppers and to speak at out, outdoor events. But one of the first things that I ever did, I'll never forget this, I was speaking at uh, Hitting the spot where we're locking up a little Columbus bit. Here we Union go. Town. All right, go right uh-huh. ahead. We were just uh, you locked up a little bit, but go right ahead. Pick back up. All right, so it's I, I spoke at an outdoorsman event mm-hmm. in Union Springs, Alabama, and so it's cold. They've got plastic up on the side of the field house. There's 80 disabled participants in this hunt. And they, kept, they told me at first I was going to do a church service on Sunday morning right after breakfast. And it was just cold, wind slapping up against the plastic. People were really not interested. And I just remember praying, Lord, I don't really know what to do here. I've got 12 or 13 minutes, and people don't want to be here. And the Lord, he gave me exactly what story to share. And I told a little story that I still do in a lot of football talks about an Old Testament warrior named Shamgar. And I'll never forget this. So I think five or six people raised their hand and, and, and began a journey with Jesus. And after the service, this guy is hanging around like he wants to talk to me. So I thought maybe this maybe this guy's going to give me a, an attaboy. You know, he appreciated me. But that's not what he said. He, he came up to me. He said, I just want to tell you that I think you serving as chaplain for this organization is a complete waste of people's time and money. I said, well, it's not a waste of their money, sir, because there ain't no money. It's complete volunteer. Mm-hmm. And he said, but I just want you to know that I hate Jesus. Well, I never had anybody say that after I preached. I've had people say things, but nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And I started to let that guy have it. And the Lord just whispered in my ear, let him finish. Listen to him. I said, sir, I'm not exactly sure. Why would you say you hate Christ? And he said, well, let me just tell it to you like this. If I could put him on this concrete slab and nail him to a cross again, I would. Now it's kind of gone to a different level. I really want to let this guy have it. I want to start throwing scriptures at him. I'm ready to set him straight. And the Lord just whispers into my spirit again, don't just keep talking to him. Let him finish. Mm-hmm. Let him finish. So I said, sir, why, why would you say that? And he said, you see that boy over there? And he pointed to this boy who had actually risen his hand to accept Christ. He was about an 18-year-old boy. He was in a wheelchair. I said, yeah. He said, we're not wealthy people. And I saved money for a couple of years, and I gave him a four-wheeler for Christmas last year. And 90 minutes after I gave him that, which was the best Christmas present of his life, he hit a guide wire, broke his neck, and the gift that I gave him put him in that chair. And I don't, any 
God or Jesus or Christ that would let that happen is evil. And now I'm, I really don't know what to say. I've, I've preached. I've, I've shared my story. And this is a time when we talk about being a powerful witness. I just called upon the Lord. I wasn't going to say just anything. Mm-hmm. And the Lord just put a question in my spirit and asked me. I said, sir, can I, uh, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, if you could go back to that Christmas morning and give your son a different gift, would you? And Phil, he got so mad, the veins bulges, and he cussed me out. And I don't mean little four-letter slang cuss words. I mean he double-barreled, let me have it. He said, obviously I would. And then I said, well, let me just tell you this. This Christ that you hate, let me tell you, he, he died for you and he died for me and his dad, his father, God, he could have stopped it. He offered him up for you and me. So uh, he, he kind of cussed me again and left, and I thought, well, that didn't go good. Mm-hmm. But about three weeks later, I get a call from his wife. She's crying so hard I can't really understand what she's saying. And she said that that guy walked an aisle that morning and accepted Christ, and he ended up being a state chaplain <laughs> in that organization. Wow. So I, I, I tell that story to people to say this. When we risk ourselves, when, we, when you risk telling your story, when mm-hmm. you do something bold, you are not alone. And God will he'll help you. And, and, and part of the beauty you know, the old-timers say knowledge is knowing what to say and wisdom's knowing when not to say it. I, I think people always think we have to have the perfect thing to say, but the Holy Spirit guides us when to hush mm-hmm. and when to listen. And and he will be there with us when we do bold things to, you know, for God. Powerful story. Powerful. Who are your heroes in the faith? Uh, I got a bunch. My granddads both were, were had passed away before I was ever born. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Bible college, there were several guys, but two guys in particular, W.C. Richardson, Dr. Richardson, who I took several classes with and ended up working for on the weekends and helped build an addition on his house, and another guy named uh, Brother Robert Elliott. Those are definitely two of my heroes. Uh, my biggest hero, though, was in my house, my dad, mm-hmm. just because he's so real, so authentic. I mean, he, he lived it out. I, my dad never told me a lie, never heard him. I mean, he just the real deal mm-hmm. and a great storyteller. And uh, he was a great dad. He was a great disciplinarian. He just he just a, a fantastic example of what it is to live for Christ. So he's definitely, a, I would consider him a hero of faith. And then a lot of guys that I'll never meet that have been looked at my life is I listen to a lot of guys who are in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listen to them preach in my travels all the time. Mm-hmm. That's really still speaking to my life. Adrian Rogers. Mm-hmm. I, I never met him, and now obviously I'm never – going to meet uh adrian rogers uh, uh just a, a lot of guys that speak into my life that uh, you know i never will meet but they are definitely heroes mm-hmm. 
Can you share how um, you, you talk about your personal story and sharing your personal story? Uh, give me an example or two, or you just let the Lord lead you, but examples of okay. how you've been in a situation where God came to your rescue and there was no other answer, no other way around it. That was the only explanation is that God showed up and, and came to your rescue. So a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, I was preaching in North Carolina and I prayed with this guy in the altar after service and we had, uh, I did a prayer breakfast on Saturday morning. They did a little fish fry on Saturday night. And then I stayed over and preached Sunday morning. So at the prayer breakfast, a guy stood up, and they had two or three guys do testimonies before I spoke, and a guy stood up, and he talked about trying to quit drinking, how alcohol had really been a stumbling block and had been a plague that he couldn't overcome but when he met Christ it gave him the help and getting being a part of a church that he would he had been 13 years sober so I speak at the prayer breakfast I speak that night at the fish fry that Sunday morning after I preach a guy comes down and he says uh, I don't he says I said was the sermon, the altar call was very specific to points in the sermon. I said, how can I help you pray? Which, why are you here? He said, well, I came to the prayer breakfast yesterday, and I have not been able to quit drinking, and I'm about to lose my family and my business. But I heard that guy say, God helped him. That's how he quit. And so we, I called the guy over there who shared. We prayed with the guy. That's how powerful a story that guy didn't even give his whole Jesus story. Mm -hmm. But it gave hope to another man mm -hmm. that there was a man in his church that was about, you know, battling the same demon he was battling mm -hmm. that overcame. And so when we talk about storytelling, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to give pastors another thing to do. I, if they will do this, it will take a lot of pressure off them. We put a lot of pressure on pastors and staffs to continually do things that are, you know, innovative and creative to draw people in when that wasn't really the blueprint of how to grow the church. The, 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 the blueprint was that Phil Scoggins and Lee McBride would go out after we heard our pastor on Sunday help grow us and disciple us and bring people one at a time. And... And I think pastors ought to put people up front more and let them share their Jesus story. I think mm -hmm. they ought to mm -hmm. teach them how to tell their Jesus story corporately and one-on-one. -on -one. And I think if we begin to do that, it will bring a lot of people hope. But there's just a two-week-old story mm -hmm. of God showing up and using a story. It wasn't mine, but using a story to give a guy hope, and it ended up, you know, leading, it ended up in the guy accepting Christ as his Savior. Mm. You see, I just think, Phil, ahead. I think the fear comes from people because they, they, they know good storytellers and 
You know, they've grown up with good storytellers, mm-hmm. and they think they have to be, Polished. you know, a high-level storyteller to do it, and you do not. Mm-hmm. You do not. You just have to be willing to be used. I mean, like I said, that guy didn't even share his whole story, but the one aspect that he was able to finally quit quit drinking, do something he couldn't do on his own power with the help of the Lord, gave another guy hope. Mm. You look in the faces of young people, you look in the faces of your congregation. What are the most pressing needs that that people come to the altar and, and are asking for for God's help with? It it changes drastically. I I spoke at five weeks of youth camp this year. And Phil, I'll be honest with you, I, I've never seen a generation of young people who battle anxiety. And I, I don't know if the year of being shut down mm-hmm. and, and, and being alone mm-hmm. multiplied that, but yeah. they are dealing, and, and I want to say this to adults, and I want to say this to preachers. It is the easiest thing in the world. It is low-hanging fruit to get up and make fun of skinny jeans, participation trophies, and how different this generation is. But their needs are real. Mm-hmm. And those anxieties, it doesn't matter what the source of them, they are real. And and, and they, they are facing, uh, you know, when I was in high school, the biggest worry was that, you know, my, uh, somebody in Moscow was going to push the red button mm-hmm. and it would all be over. But just because... That has been exposed that that probably wasn't as big a threat as we once thought. That doesn't mean that the anxieties these students are dealing with are real. And with men, a lot of times in the in the altar, I, this is a difficult thing to talk about, but I appreciate you letting me come on, and I want to be real, and I love you enough that I'm going to tell people the truth. Is men deal with a lot of problems come to their life because of self-pity. They, when you when you start feeling sorry for yourself as a man, you can justify almost anything. And I'm not saying that the struggles aren't real. I'm not saying that, you know, that, that, that the, some of them are weary, that their weariness is not well-deserved. But I'm saying self-pity, uh, when we're grown and, and when we're following God and chasing hard after God, self-pity has, it can lead to dangerous, toxic things. We have to learn to combat that. When you're looking at the, the faces of those young, young people in those youth camps and you see the anxiety and the stress, how do you reach them? How, what, met, what stories, what, what scriptures to try right. to, to, to penetrate their hearts with the truth that will help them? Well, the, the New Testament scripture, I think it's First Peter 5, 7, is a very easy preachable scripture about anxiety is to cast them upon Christ for he truly cares for us. So cast is a fishing term and the mm-hmm. people when that scripture was written fished with nets and they fished at night and they fished all night. And they spent a lot of time untangling and straightening out nets and casting them, casting them. I think we're we may have run off the rails a little bit as we think that everything happens at the point of salvation and we, we don't realize that some things are supposed to be a part of our life daily. And, and, and nobody would go fishing and 
raw time, and then if you don't catch anything, go to the house. That's not how you fish. You cast a lot of time. Casting anxiety upon Christ is something that happens daily at first, and then, it, and, and then consistently even after that. It's not something that happens one time in one altar call. We learn to just like repentance. You know, so many people repented at their point of salvation, and they don't repent. And not, it doesn't matter what the sign says in front of your church. Nothing forgives sin but the blood of Christ, mm-hmm. and we, we have to repent. Now, we got different semantics and terminology for it, but it's just a simple truth that we'd have to learn to repent consistently because we fall short mm-hmm. consistently. Mm-hmm. So I tell students, you know, that it's not you're not living from camp to camp or event to event or even really from Wednesday night to Wednesday night, but you have to deal with these things daily. And the, what I would say to parents or to anybody who's dealing with young people who have anxiety issues is one thing that has not changed with students is they still spell love, T-I-M-E. And if you're willing, if they know you love them and you're willing to spend time with them, you can conquer almost anything. And then with the help of Christ, you can conquer anything. But we, we have become so busy still, we've kind of lost the difference between what's truly important and what just seems urgent. Mm-hmm. If you could have a traveling... Um message board on your vehicle as you're driving to um texas for your for your next mission yes Uh, what would the billboard say one word surrender if i if people tell me lee you got one word to describe what salvation truly is it's surrender we're trying to do so much but really when we we will not grow till we come to the point that we realize we cannot do this alone. We, you, we, 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 we need a Savior. We need a shepherd. We need help. And, man, the, the power and the strength and the joy and the rest that comes when we surrender to him, when we make him not just our fire insurance policy, not just that he's going to rescue us from hell one day, but when we make him Lord of our life, and let him guide us, we surrender that to him and give that to him, it is joy unspeakable. Amen, brother. What kind of scene are you looking at as you drive down I-10 right now? I'm almost in New Orleans, and I don't know about you, Phil. I mean, I'm not a real big fan of New Orleans, so I'm fixing to, <laughs> I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to put, put it on about five miles hour fast. I know a lot of people are going to get mad because they love New Orleans, but Man, I, I I don't get I don't get the I don't get it. I mean, they got good food and it's a great place to visit, but I don't I don't I don't really understand the, the draw to New Orleans. Well, the draw for me is, and it's unfortunately over forty years old, and that was Georgia's national championship from nineteen January first <laughs> hey, of nineteen eighty one. Listen, I know we say it every year, and you know I'm a fan, a fan, I always uh-huh. have been, always will be, but I'm gonna tell you. I got a really good feeling about Georgia this year. I think if they get Clemson, 
if they can beat Clemson in an opener, I think Georgia's going to have a really good chance to to uh, to go the distance. We're, since we've shifted over to football talk, I was just going to bring up uh, Mark Richt, and uh, I shared on one of my recent podcasts. Um, he came to Columbus. Of course, he was the head coach uh, back then. And um, a couple of guys, former Georgia football players, Dale Williams and DJ Jones, have a sports visions yeah. group that they bring uh, athletes together. They do it for, for the guys and the girls today. But this was a football banquet. And so you had the best high school football players in this area under one roof listening to Mark Richt. So we had a captive audience, obviously trying to, um, you know, keep the Georgia football program uh, at, at the top of the rankings. And his speech that day to those guys, and I, I wasn't there. We had a, a fellow that, that went and covered it, and he thought, I better record, I better roll on this. And when he came back and showed it to me, I turned it into a story uh, that night. He used uh, that exam that opportunity to tell those guys. Let me give you the best advice that I can give you as a uh, you know Georgia head football coach to young men. The book of Proverbs has thirty one chapters, enough for any month of the year. Every day. Whatever the day of the month is, go to that chapter in Proverbs and read it. And wow. he said, just do that the rest of your life. And he said, it'll change your life. It will give you fresh perspective. It'll help you. It'll center your life on, on the Word and, and on, the, on God. And, and, I, and I know that, that Mark is going through, Coach Richt is going through um, right. a, a battle with Parkinson's. But just thought right. I would share that story about how, you know, that's, that is incredible, and I am going to start doing that tomorrow. That's a great idea. Well, he, uh, again, and I, I relate him to you. You know, you have an opportunity. You have a captive audience, and you're right. depending upon, you know, that five minutes to try to say something that will, that will last and that will have an impact. So, uh, but I also say that to say, you know, uh, we, we both certainly need to join in prayer and all of us uh, for Coach Rick as he goes through this battle with Absolutely. Parkinson's. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell me, uh, you had mentioned this, and, and we're, we've are we still got, you know, about 10 minutes uh, left to talk. We try to cut it off at about the hour mark. But you, uh, you piqued my interest when you talked about uh, the deer poem, uh, the hunting poem. Is that something that you've got committed to memory? Hold on one second. I, you're, you're breaking up. Can you say that one more time, Phil? I was trying to revisit the deer poem, the hunting poem. Oh yeah, I'll be glad to. I'll be glad to share it. Seven minutes long now. Is that okay? We got. We got. Uh, that's that'll be perfect. Let, let's hear it. Okay. All right. So I, I wrote this little poem about a morning in the deer woods called when the deer, uh, when the woods wake up and it goes like this. Okay. Cold. I mean, the kind of chills to the bone, the kind of cold that as you breathe, you can feel your lungs grown. The kind of cold when the wind brings a sting to your eyes, they're begging for moisture and there's no tears to cry. When it's black, so dark, you can hardly even see it brings a strange kind of fear, but a reverent kind of peace. And you're peering out the window of your warm, toasty home with a big cup of coffee and the weather channel on with one thought that just keeps bombarding your mind. 
you better hurry up. You're falling behind. Because the truth is, don't matter how severe the chill in the air, you won't be happy until you are out there. Now, if you've never been there, you won't understand. I'll try to explain. Not sure that I can. It's a strange thing it draws on an outdoors man. And I'm sure to some people the thrill's not enough. I'm sure to others the conditions seem tough. But I'm going to be in that bottom when the woods wake up. Well, your first customer rustles around his nest. It's that muscle-bound squirrel with his white furry chest. He bounces from the limb as if he is lost from a spring. He's got a job to do and a song to sing, limb after limb, place after place. He's zigging and zagging at a furious pace. But you better keep that little critter in sight. He will sneak around behind and bring your heart true fright. I can't tell you how many times I've tight-gripped that stock, nicked on that safety or eased that hammer to lock because I hear old big boy coming through the trees to turn and see a little rat bouncing round in the leaves. The truth is he'll drive a deer hunter insane. <laughs> but the woods without him would not be the same. The next thing you hear are the birds of the air singing their song to tell you they know that you're there. Still dark, hardly anything's begun to move as that old barred owl gives that who cooks for you. Down <laughs> the woods just a piece on the side of a tree, you hear a strange little tapping. It turns into familiar beat. It was that red-headed woodpecker working so hard for such a small tree. Then over in the beaver pond, there's a splash and a dive as wood ducks fly in as 105. Just behind you, there's a whistle that your ears know well. It's that good morning of the bobwhite quail. Then just over the ridge with a thundering squabble, that old Tom Turkey hammers a good morning gobble. Now, if you've never been there, you won't understand. Try to explain, not sure that I can. It's a strange thing it draws on an outdoors man. And I'm sure to some people the thrill's not enough. I'm sure to others the conditions seem tough. But I'm going to be in that bottom when the woods wake up. Now, some mornings are special. Some mornings are rare. You glad you made the sacrifice to roll out and be there. I've seen him come by with that arrogant little hop that little gray fox wearing those black furry socks. I've seen the world's greatest fisherman by far. It's the otter. I've watched that cottonmouth snake ease through the swamp water. Well, my heart has experienced the world's greatest scare to be in a tree and see that graceful lumbering black bear. But the creature that brings me to the woods without fail is a beautiful deer, the old elusive whitetail. Now, some people say the sport's just about to kill, but that's not true. It's got many great appeals, like watching a little phone with his awkward knobby knees, thinks he's a trophy buck rubbing his ball head on a tree, or watching them doze as they slip through the sage, and the last one looks behind her and you can feel your heart rage. And on certain mornings when the planets line up and Mother Nature extends to you that strange kind of luck, there he is. Old big boy, horns out past his ears. I've seen him make grown men cry little boy tears. <laughs> I'm sure in every deer camp there's a story that'll cost you. On our lease, we call that big boy Walk Tosha. And some men consider it the ultimate thrill to mount Walk Tosha and to brag about your kill. But that is not the experience that I rank number one. I like to be in that tree. 
watching them deer move while I'm hunting with my son. If you've never been there, you won't understand. Try to explain no way that I can because it's a beautiful thing that draws on an outdoors man. And I'm sure to some people the thrill's not enough. I'm sure to others the conditions seem tough. But I'm going to be in that bottom when the woods wake up. Wow. <laughs> Powerful, I've done that brother. I've done that times. I could tell. It, yes, sir. It's entrenched in your mind, and it rolls off your tongue like syrup, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we get uh, down to the close of this podcast, Lee, I, don't, I, I try to lead you with questions that will allow you to tell stories and to bless people's hearts. But uh, if there's something on your heart that you'd like to share to close with, whether it's a funny story or just something that you feel like people need to hear as this uh, pandemic raises its head again. Uh, yeah. Some schools, we've already had some high schools here who are having to cancel some football games. Um, yeah. What uh, What would it be? What would you What would you say as we as we wrap up? Well, I would just uh, say this. First of all, I want to tell you, Phil, thank you for letting me be on the podcast. It means the world to me. And I really appreciate your witness in the community and in the Chattahoochee Valley. And you also, I was describing my dad a minute ago, are very genuine and authentic. And, you know, it's not like you have a TV voice and a see you at Cracker Barrel voice. And I appreciate that, that you are real and that you've invited me to be here but here's what i would say to people there's a there's a struggle right now i mean if you if you do this you're considered you know a, 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 somebody who doesn't care about safety if you do that you, you, your church people will tell you you don't have faith but listen here's what we do here's the blueprint that i think we go by pandemic or no pandemic, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Mm -hmm. First of all, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. There are people that have gone on before us that have done what we're trying to do who are praying for us. Second of all, he says, let us run the race with patience. Let us cast off the things that weigh us down. So there are some things in our life that weigh us down that are not necessarily ugly or are they obvious. But if something's weighing you down, and then he said, dodge the things that trip you up, avoid the things that entangle you, fix your eyes on Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And that's where we we have, that's what we have to do. We don't, there are people in our life going to let our let us down, and there are days in our lives we are not going to understand. Mm -hmm. But if we focus on Christ, and Matthew 6, says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, this stuff will work itself out. So I'm saying daily, avoid the things that weigh you down, dodge the things that trip you up, fix your eyes on Christ, run in your lane. You don't compare yourself to the lanes next to you. We just keep our eyes fixed on him and never, never, never quit. And I think that's the blueprint for living a life for Christ daily. Brother, I don't think anybody could say it any better, and you're doing it as you're driving and heading to, to Texas to minister to young people and uh, folks at a church meeting tonight. Lee, thank you for what you do. Thank you for the way that you do it. Uh, people who have heard you in person know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, 
Uh, I know you and Joe are in this area um, fairly regularly, but uh, you have a unique ministry. Uh, The Lord uses your unique gifts and abilities to bless others with uh, uh, your ability to tell stories in ways that penetrate the soul. And thank you for being who you are, for being uh, for being real, for being you. And, uh, you know, I feel like that if folks, uh, bore with us, I know that there were a few breakups during the, uh, transmission of the, of the course of this podcast, but if they stuck with us, I feel like that their heart has been touched by, uh, the truth of, of what God would have them hear and hopefully take it to heart. And, uh, what you just said there at the end, how do, how do we make it to the end? Well, you gave us a, a right. good blueprint. Gave us a great blueprint, brother. All right. Well, I love you guys. Thank you for letting me be on. Thanks so much. And I'm going to wrap it up right here saying thank you, Lee. And we thank you for joining us on this podcast of Faces of Faith. And we pretty much say this every time. Before I leave, I do want to thank Dylan Hansen is our director. And he's been able to pull all the strings and make all this happen technically. Dylan, thank you for doing your magic as you always do but as we always say at this time of uh, the podcast whatever you're going through always remember to keep the faith